Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, it's all about the money. CBS News money analyst Jill Schlesinger, also the host of Jill on Money, looks beyond the unemployment figures and shares with me what they really mean in terms of travel and tourism. And is there a way out of this deep financial hole? Then Gary Leff, who writes the viewfromthewing.com on the looming dark day for airlines and the continuing fallout from having to wear masks, including possibly the nastiest, most inappropriate note ever written to a flight attendant. Then, Nick Calio, President and CEO of Airlines for America, on the real bottom line for the airline. How long can they continue to bleed money as we enter the tough fourth and first quarters? First up, Jill Schlesinger. Uh, My next guest is a colleague of mine at CBS and a good friend. She's the business analyst for CBS News. You see her on the air all the time, especially these days, with all the updated reports, uh, good, bad, and ugly, lately somewhat bad and ugly, but we know why. Uh, Jill Schlesinger, how are you? How are you, Jill? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Peter. So you know, travel and business so intertwined, especially when travel is the largest service industry in the world. Uh, every you know, every week the unemployment figures come out, and you report on them. Are you seeing any trends at all that are going to give you some hope? Well, I mean, look, you know, big picture, let's go up ten thousand feet, and we know that the the worst of this occurred in in terms of the economy back at the end of March and the beginning of April. And we peaked with weekly unemployment claims the last week of March, actually, Uh, almost 7 million people filing for unemployment claims. And, you know, I just got to put that in perspective for everyone. You know, I say that number, 7 million, it sounds like a lot, just to let you know that previously, before this pandemic, the highest weekly claims number was just under 700,000, so 10 times the magnitude. It's pretty amazing. Now, that said, 
we have been trending lower. And we went, you know, sort of from 7 million and then down almost every week. Unfortunately, I think that these numbers have remained stubbornly high throughout the last, say, six weeks or so, simply because the virus is spreading in different parts of the country. And we don't have the leisure and hospitality industry back to its pre-pandemic strength. So in the week ending September 5th, about um, just under 900,000 people claimed unemployment benefits. But if you look at all the different unemployment programs that are out there, we had just under 30 million people who are collecting benefits. That's just an awful lot of Americans who are still out of work. And, you know, if you put it in perspective at a different number, just in the travel and tourism sector alone, they're claiming the unemployment figure just in that sector is about 51 percent. That's staggering. Yeah, it sure is. And I mean, so if we just look, if we look at travel, travel and leisure and we look at hospitality and restaurants, you know, these are just enormous numbers. Now, you know, look, do I think that we are going to claw our way back? Of course, I, I do. I, I am I generally believe that this is an economy that will come back. I just don't think it's going to come back as quickly as any of us would like. So what we now know is we lost a, just say under, let's call it about 22 million jobs that have been lost since the pandemic started. And about half of those jobs have come back online. But that still leaves us with employment down by 11.5 million since this pandemic began. So, you know, it's it's going to be a long slog to get through this. Those who thought it would just bounce back quickly, I mean, we had an initial bounce. That's good. We want people to get back to work. You know, we certainly want the travel industry, the hospitality industry. We want all those people reemployed. It's just not going to happen as quickly as any of us would like. And, you know, taking this from Wall Street down to Main Street, one example right here in New York where you and I both are, there are over 1,300 restaurants in New York City alone that have closed permanently and are not going to reopen. And uh, how many dishwashers, how many bus, pe- bus people, how many waitstaff, how many chefs what about the, the food suppliers and the liquor distributors and you know, the people who do the laundry for the napkins? I mean, it gets it's crazy, right? Yeah, and, and that's so upsetting to me. Um, I, I interviewed one of the owners of a kind of a neat restaurant down in the Flatiron District of New York City, um, and he was telling me about kind of the conversations that everybody's been having in the restaurant industry with one another. And, you know, he was really very... Um, I think he was sort of like measured. He said, look, it's not a devastation in that, you know, there are going to be other restaurants that pop up. But if it's your restaurant that's going under, then it is devastating. Right. So he's he sort of understands that there is going to be a a birth and a death. And now we're hoping for the next cycle, which would be another birth. And that's what we got to hope for. But, you know, I think that there is also some concern as we look ahead what is going to happen to um, any downtown area of any city if people are working remotely? And that I don't know. I mean, and, and you can tell me, Peter, what happens if a lot of companies decide, you know what, we don't need to send Josephine over to Japan or we don't need to send Matthew to London. They can do this via Zoom. What does that do to the travel industry? Oh, you're absolutely right. And it really starts in the workplace itself. My prediction, as crazy as it sounds, and this is just for New York, it could also apply to Chicago and Los Angeles. But right here in New York, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that by the end of this year, you'll see at least 40 high-rise midtown Manhattan office buildings totally vacant. 
but I mean not just mm. temporarily vacant, but totally vacant. And then all the associated businesses that are in business precisely because of those buildings, they go away as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's, that's going to be something to really um, to keep our eyes on, right? Because the commercial real estate trends are such that I never like to proclaim the death of anything because I always think that there's something else comes back. And, you know, I was uh, talking to somebody who had an interest in Hudson Yards, which is our big development in the far west side of, of New York. And it was this beautiful, amazing, you know, there's great space there, all this stuff. And, you know, you find out that Neiman Marcus, this was the only store it had opened in New York City, in Manhattan proper, and they just walked away from their lease. And so then I found out that I that um, Facebook was looking at the Neiman Marcus space because they loved the idea that they could put offices there that were spread out. They had internal escalators. So, I mean, I guess that there will be uses for these things that maybe we can't even contemplate at this point. Although in the restaurant business, and this sounds sort of like, you know, the vultures coming, but, you know, you have so many vacant restaurants that have fully operational kitchens. They, they're mm-hmm. already furnished. They just, you know, they're a, a, an enterprising chef with a little bit of money and a, and a keen opportunity to renegotiate a lease can come in there and almost be, you know, turnkey when the time is right. Absolutely. And, and look, that's what I think what everybody's sort of hoping for. We are in this very strange period, right? I feel like the worst is hopefully behind us in terms of, uh, of sickness and of economic damage. But that doesn't mean that we are not still in a battle right now to kind of move forward and get beyond this. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not a virologist, so I don't know. I can only go by what they tell us at, at CBS in terms of the doctors who are part of our staff. But, you know, I think that there is some encouraging news about people who are um, willing to make the leap. I'm, I'm a big wimp, Peter. Like, if, <laughs> you know, if someone needed a kidney, I'd get on a plane right now. But, like, if you told me here's a free trip to Paris and you can stay at the Bristol, I'd really have a hard time getting on the plane. Wow. So that brings me up to my next question. When was the last time you were on a plane, Jill? Um, the last time I was on a plane was last fall in October, and I went to Dublin, where I had never been. Had a fantastic time. Absolutely loved it. Was there for a long weekend. And um, let me tell you about all the trips that I've canceled this year, Peter. <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I think I've got you beat. I think I've got you beat. Yeah, well... You always have me beat on those. But, you know, uh, I was supposed to go to Berlin for five days. I was uh, looking to go to um, probably to Australia and New Zealand where I have family. Next year, early next year, I was supposed to have, we were supposed to have a family wedding in South Africa. That's been shelved. So, I mean, I... I don't know. I gotta. I, I I've got to believe that you know. Hopefully, in the next six months, we'll have more information, and I can start rebooking these things. But man, it's it's um it's crazy. And I have a good. I can work from home. My income hasn't gone down, but I do miss traveling. I really do. I love it's something. You know that because I've talked to you about it. I just I, I love it. And um, you know, it's funny. I almost I thought of you because I was looking at the Turkish lira, and I thought, oh my God, could we have a trip? To Turkey oh my, right now. My, the exchange rate for those people who are following these things, as Jill is, the exchange rate between the U.S. dollar and the Turkish lira, we should all be on the next plane. We should all be I on know. the next plane to Turkey. 
I'm telling you, it's I unbelievable. Know. And, and by the way, a special place also. As you, I know you have a special fondness for it, but I that is like one of my top three trips of all time. Amazing. Well, listen, Jill, as always a pleasure to talk to you. I hope that those numbers continue to, to evolve in a good way. Uh, and the fact is that no matter how many people are unemployed, I hope they're getting their benefits. And I hope that the state funds don't run out. And I hope that when we get ready to travel, we'll actually have some money to spend on it. How about that? My thanks to Jill. It's not a fun time to be in the airline business. Thousands of furloughs, with some airlines bleeding nearly $30 million a day each. Gary Left joins me to talk about this, as well as some very poor passenger behavior. Uh, joining us now... I think I can call him a regular on the show now. He writes a great uh, website called theviewfromthewing.com. Gary Leff, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Well, good. So bottom line, September 30th, that's the day that the CARES Act provisions essentially expire that require the airlines to keep their people on payroll and to, and to fly all their routes with a couple of exceptions. And... You know, you have some airlines like like American already announcing something like, you know, 15 or 16 cities are going to drop from their routes. Delta's already dropped, I think, like 11 or 12 and are going to go for more. United hasn't weighed in yet, but I expect it any minute now. So we could conceivably see on October, sometime in early October, anywhere from 60 to 80 cities in this country either getting very reduced air service or getting no air service at all. And then, of course, that's the day... All those furloughs kick in. American Airlines already announced, what, 19,000 involuntary furloughs. United at about 16,000. Delta is a little bit lower than that. And the other airlines are going to weigh in later. That's not a good day. Well, Delta is a lot lower than that. They have announced uh, about 1,800 furloughs of pilots. Uh, but, they, but I broke the news that they were not going to furlough any flight attendants. Uh, so their numbers are going to be a lot lower. Uh, back in the spring, the federal government passed the CARES Act. In there was uh, about $50 billion for commercial airlines and also a whole bunch of tax breaks that we don't talk about very much. $25 billion of the 50 was uh, for payroll support, so money to use to pay people, some of whom would have been laid off without it. Others, um, you know, they would have kept paying. But in exchange for this money, Airlines were not allowed to lay anyone off. Now, they reduced hours to pay them less. Um, they, in the case of uh, non-union folks, often uh, you know, United required uh, many of them to take uh, unpaid vacation uh, to, so they could save some of that money. But they couldn't lay them off, and they couldn't reduce their rates of pay. And that restriction lasts until September 30. And so uh, effective at the beginning of October, we are going to see some job losses. And fundamentally, the reason why is because there's a lot less demand for air travel, a lot fewer flights. They need fewer people to operate those flights. And, you know, that's a unfortunate thing all the way around. Uh, well, you know, that's, the, that, gone, that's the double whammy because, you know, airlines are always looking at their forward bookings as any other business would be. And traditionally, the fourth quarter and the first quarter are, de are, de are depressed in a way, and they're usually lower. This year, they're dismal because there's no leisure travel either. Uh, business travel is basically DOA. And so if you're looking between September and March, it's almost financially unsustainable for the airlines to continue to operate at those levels, correct? Yeah, I mean, they're going to keep more pilots on than they need now on the bet that next spring is going to be better 
and it takes a while to train pilots, and it takes a lot to keep them current. So they're going to keep paying pilots, uh, you know, to a larger extent than uh, flight attendants and mechanics. Um, but you know, fewer people are going to be uh, needed. It's unfortunate, um, but the airlines are going to be smaller for uh, more than a little while. You know, if you really look at the numbers. We get to a point in this country where we're going to start defining a successful airline by which can lose money longer. Uh, you know, at one point they were losing $100 million a day per airline. Uh, in its second quarter results, Delta was sort of very happy that they'd, they'd reduced that to losing only $27 million a day. But even today, uh, British Airways losing 20 million pounds of cash a day. They're all bleeding, right? So, And we're going into a quarter in which they traditionally don't make any money what's even worse yeah, they, is if you look they, at the they've historic... got a lot of a lot of fixed costs i mean they have these yeah. planes that they um have to keep paying on uh the only way out of these contracts would be a chapter 11 bankruptcy they all have experience with that but they also have earned enough money and had enough assets that they can sure put that off for quite a while on top of the money that the government's given them um they're loading themselves up with tremendous amounts of debt so it's going to be a really long time before investors see any money, any free cash flow out of the airlines, uh, even once they recover and even once they start making money again. I mean, that money's basically going to go to uh, paying down debt, whether you're talking about $20 billion at, uh, at Delta or you know, 40 to $50 billion of debt at uh, American. Uh, the you know, notable thing here, though, Southwest Airlines, not only are they not furloughing anyone, uh, they're even turning down the subsidized government CARES Act loan uh, that is offered to them. So, you know, they're, they don't want to take on debt that they don't need. Uh, they still uh, have a strong balance sheet, but they're losing a lot of money, too. And, you know, their CEO basically says, look, you know, we've got to double the amount of business that is coming in uh, just to break even. Wow. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on September 30th or maybe even October 1st, because... The, the bill that the Senate came back as the new kind of rescue bill did not include any airline money. Um, and now the House is, is, is trying to pass a bill that the Senate's saying is dead on arrival there. And, you know, here we are on the weekend of September 12th, and it's only two weeks away before all this kicks in if, if uh, the government doesn't come to the rescue, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's sort of a crazy politics of it all uh, in that, you know, we're in an election year. And I'm not really going to apply to the politics per se, except to say that, look, um, you know, both sides of the aisle have supported giving more money as second bailout to airlines. Can the airlines get rescued and under what circumstances can they or should they be rescued? Is there hope? Well, so here's the thing. None of the airlines are in uh, jeopardy of going out of business. None of the major U.S. airlines in jeopardy of going out of business uh, this year. Um if travel doesn't recover next year, nothing the government does now is going to save the airlines or save jobs. Uh, what the airlines need is demand for travel. Um, and if the airlines were to uh, face continued downturn next year, I mean, they're basically looking at you know, investors and creditors taking a haircut through uh, Chapter 11, but that's not a risk to the U.S. transportation system. I mean, what's at risk October 1 is probably about you know, forty to 50,000 jobs, uh, which nobody wants to see anyone lose their jobs, uh, be furloughed, you know, hopefully be brought back when 
uh, travel demand recovers. But the notion of the federal government coming in to continue to pay uh, for airline payroll so that people remain at their jobs without uh, working, operating flights that passengers aren't demanding uh, is looking less and less likely as time runs out. So I guess my interpretation of that, Gary, is the airlines can't wait to shrink fast enough and there's a sort of race to the bottom. Yeah, they are willing to keep paying employees uh, that they don't need to operate flights if the federal government's going to give them money to do it. But when you're talking about having a 20 to $50 billion of debt apiece, uh, there's only so long that they can do that. The only thing that's going to benefit the airline industry is a return of travel. Huh. Well, that's not going to happen until probably March. So it's going to be a very interesting six months from now, right? And the winter is a very tough time, as you observe, where revenue is lean. I mean, there are airlines that have literally been hoping, you know, they were hoping like Norwegian, right, needing a really good summer uh, across the Atlantic in order to build up cash to survive a winter. And that was true even before the pandemic. So we are going to see you know, airlines struggle, uh, especially you know, several international airlines, uh, over, the, over the winter months, which is traditionally the weakest period. And I might remind everybody that as of today, there have been 34 airlines that have completely failed since the beginning of the pandemic. That's a scary thought right then and there. These are airlines that are not operating under Chapter 11. They're no longer with us. Bye-bye. And uh, planes are being parked everywhere. I want to shift gears for a second here and tell you a story. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's always been a little bit rebellious. I was on the phone with him earlier today. And he was completely screaming, saying, I've had it. This whole thing with a mask is a joke. It's a government conspiracy. I don't need to do this. I'm not going to do this. And then he proceeds to tell me a story that he was on a flight from uh, Love Field to uh, Islip in New York. And the plane turned around, went back to the gate and threw him off because he wouldn't wear a mask. He sounded so surprised. And then he said, and then I couldn't find another flight. I had to drive to DFW. I missed that flight. I ended up getting up at Kennedy, but my car was an islip. I spent two days because they wanted me to wear a mask. And I said, well, there seems to be an overriding lesson here. And he said, what's that? I said, wear the mask. And he wasn't about to do it. So he got himself banned from that airline. In that case, it was Southwest. There have been about, what, 750 people so far in America who are on the no-fly list. But the one that takes the cake is the one you wrote about, the woman on the American Airlines flight with the letter to the flight attendant. Oh, goodness. You know, look, this is a really difficult time. Uh, you know, when we're all stuck together in a metal tube to begin with in non-pandemic times, uh, lots of folks with lots of different issues are brought together. Uh, it's a very small D democratic environment, uh, and you know we all have to mix and 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 get through uh, the tight conditions. Now more than ever, it's incredibly stressful, and people are being asked to wear masks, and crew are being asked to ask passengers who aren't to wear them and to offer them to somebody you know, if, if they don't have one. Uh, so a woman on an American Airlines flight objected to being asked to wear hers properly and wrote a note to a flight attendant uh, letting her know uh, what she thought of this person as a human being for uh, insisting on the mask. You know, uh, you're, being much, you're, being the, much, you're being much too nice. We can't uh, even read that letter on the air. Every third word was, was uh, uh, an objectionable word, but she even called her a mask Nazi. <laughs> 
Godwin's law applied to the pandemic and air flight, um, you know, somehow Hitler uh, comes into play. Uh, she called the, the woman a you know glorified maid who'd be working at hotels for you know two dollar tips, cleaning rooms, if not you know for this job enforcing mask policy. And I don't know what the woman hoped, the, the passenger hoped to gain by handing this note to the flight attendant uh, as she got off the flight. Look, if you genuinely feel that way, write the note to yourself and, you know, stick it away, right? But to uh, <laughs> just berate someone else for you know, doing their job, enforcing a policy that is meant to help others. So, I mean, the long and short of it is that, it, that for abusing an employee, American Airlines has uh, suspended this passenger. This passenger cannot currently travel on American uh, subject to further investigation. And that was done pretty quickly. It was. You know, you, you mentioned an interesting story here, and that is I always wanted to do a book. And the name of the book would be to go to very well-known public figures, people that you and I know in every walk of life, from entertainment to science to religion, and just ask them to share with me the letter they never mailed. <laughs> and, because everybody's got one. In this case, she couldn't restrain herself. She actually had to hand it to the flight attendant, and she uh, there were consequences as well. Hey, before we, uh, we run out of time, I got to ask for your impression on the word permanent. And I use that in conjunction with the United announcement about two weeks ago that they were going to, quote unquote, permanently get rid of ticket change fees. What's your what's your guess on that? So the two things to know about this is that the change in policy eliminating change fees does not apply to the cheapest fares, basic economy fares. So as everyone applauds them, you know, don't get too excited. Uh, but, you know, permanent just means there's no announced end date to the policy right now. No ticket has change fees because of the pandemic. Every airline keeps extending that policy, roughly speaking, through the end of the year uh, so far. So what they've announced really just applies to, you know, quote, starting next year, some tickets won't have change fees anymore. Uh, and that makes the difference between regular and basic economy fares even greater uh, so that they hope people are going to spend more for those more expensive tickets. So it's not as consumer friendly as it seems. I'm not going to complain about not charging change fees to some customers. Uh, that's certainly uh, better, but uh, this isn't. This was not magnanimous on the part of United's uh, part uh, or on uh, Delta, American, or Alaska that followed. And they had to follow quite quickly because the optics were it was such a great thing. They, they would be at a competitive disadvantage if they didn't. Well, that's right. And, you know, look, let's not forget that Southwest doesn't charge anyone change fees to begin with, including on their lowest fares or uh, baggage fees. Uh, but the rest of the airlines continue to charge those. Oh, you know what? Ancillary fees have always been my favorite topic, and it looks like they're not going to go away all the time. So we will obviously continue to monitor that. And of course, Gary, we're going to have you back before the end of September to see if there's any good news to report about the airline's financial health, because seriously, I'm really worried that even with the furloughs, uh, getting from A to B is not going to be that easy. I'll give you an example. I've got to go from LaGuardia to Cincinnati in a couple of weeks, in October, I might add, and uh, this after the, uh, the CARES Act provisions expire. And normally there'd be like eight or nine nonstops a day from LaGuardia. That's a flight that lasts in the air about 48 minutes. Uh, what do you think my flight itinerary is now to get to Cincinnati? It's oh, five boy. hours and 20 minutes with a, st with a stopover in Detroit. And that's the only way I'm, Look, I'm getting to Cincinnati. 
with on average half the flights as before. There are half the choices, and there are fewer in the New York area because of the uh, required quarantine of people from you know, most of the country coming if, wherever you go, coming in and out, means there's a lot less travel and a lot less demand than in much of the rest of the country, so fewer options even still. My thanks to Gary. Again, a great website, viewfromthewing.com. Next up, a man with a view over and under the wing, Nick Calio, President and CEO of Airlines for America. Is it true we may have to define a successful airline these days by which can lose money longer? Nick Calio knows. There's the old line that was originally attributed to Richard Branson, but I think it was really attributed to Freddie Laker, that if you want to be a millionaire, you start with a billion dollars and open an airline, you'll become a millionaire. Um, and my next guest knows all about that roller coaster environment from the bad days to the good days to the current days. He's the president and CEO of Airlines for America, Nick Calio. Hey, Nick. Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago where if you and I were going to have a conversation, let's say seven months ago, we'd be talking about record profits for the airlines, a, pilot, a coming pilot shortage, um, new routes, um, you know, pioneering secondary and tertiary cities. And of course, now all those bets are off the table. There is no longer a pilot shortage. Uh, the airlines are literally losing millions of dollars a day, even with some government assistance. And we're coming into the fourth quarter, which traditionally the winter months are not friendly to airlines. And to add insult to injury, perhaps, uh, recently, just what, two days ago, uh, when the Senate bill was released on, on what they were hoping to do as, a, as another rec economic recovery bill, there was no provision in there to, uh, to help the airlines again. Well, you got it covered pretty well, Peter. When, if we had talked seven months ago, we would have talked about the golden age of air travel, which it was. We were flying both passengers and cargo in record numbers, uh, over 2.5 million passengers a day, 58,000 tons of cargo. Uh, our balance sheets were described by Fortress and Wall Street, uh, able to sustain three times an event like 9-11. And then the pandemic happened, and in two weeks, everything was turned upside down. Flying was down. We were down to 96% uh, less passengers day over day uh, than we had been just weeks before. Uh, over Labor Day weekend, we uh, got up uh, higher than we had been all summer. Uh, we had a burst about 4th of July. We're doing well, and we thought by this time we would be up at about 50 to 55% of capacity. Uh, we're nowhere near that. Uh, this morning, I believe we were at down um, only 68%. And we are, you know, in the early months of the pandemic, we were losing, our airlines were losing 10 to $12 billion a month. Now it's down to about $5 billion a month. Uh, routes are being cut. Furloughs are in the offing. These, you know, airlines have done everything they can to rectify the situation, uh, cut executive pay, um, move people around. Uh, offered packages to have early retirements, uh, people taking voluntary leaves. Um, but it's not going to be enough unless flying starts to pick up. And there's no sign that it's going to. So we are in a much worse situation than we were after 9-11, than we were after the financial crisis. So it's going to take time to recover. Uh, the government was good to us uh, with the CARES Act 1. Uh, they provided um, the payroll support program which, you know, I heard it described as a bailout, which I always get irritated with because it was no bailout. We saved the government a lot of money. The government gave us money, some of it in grants, some of it loans, took ownership of parts of the company, 
but we took all the money and kept people on the payroll, which in our industry, as you know, Peter, is important because it's not like you can walk out and throw the keys to the pilot and say, start the airplane and fly. If he hasn't flown in three months or six months, he's got to be recertified. It's the same with a flight attendant. It's the same with a machinist. So our hope was that with all the hurt there is in this country, with all the economic power that airlines bring to that economy and to employment, um, that there would be some further relief. Um, right now, it doesn't look like anybody who needs it is going to get much relief. Um, we're hoping that will change. Not sure what the politics are or why they are the way they are. But to, to us, we see it both an economic and a political imperative for politicians to come together to find an answer. We are in uncharted territory. This hopefully is a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence that we don't have to deal with it again. But for right now, the government does need to step in and deal with it as it may. You know, last week on the show, we had uh, Sarah Nelson on, who I know you know, and uh, she was giving me the indication that she actually thought there was a you know, strong bipartisan support at the, co- at the congressional level to do that. Um, and we've also heard uh, President Trump say, we got to save the airlines, we got to help the airlines. So I don't know if he can do an executive order in this situation, but somehow I would think that since the Senate bill did not pass, uh, they might go back to the drawing board and, and basically give you guys, a, you know, cares too. We're hopeful that they will. We work very closely with the flight attendants and the pilots. Uh, Sarah's done a great job about giving voice to the need for this problem. And there is, I mean, two things. The president has spoken to it two or three times now. Uh, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has spoken to it. Um, there's substantial bipartisan support on Capitol Hill uh, for doing something for the airlines, again, it would be a pass-through program. It's not going to be uh, further loans or anything like that. It just we would be given, we would pass money from the government through to our employees to keep them on the payroll. There was a study done by Compass Lexicon, Peter, and what it did was look at this pass-through program where the government funneled money, the federal government funneled money through the airlines to airline employees to keep them employed until September 30th. You know, with that date rolling right upon us. What they found was um, the program essentially more than paid for itself because those employees kept paying federal, state, and local taxes. Uh, They didn't collect unemployment. They paid their Medicare taxes. They paid their Social Security taxes. You know, so it certainly was not a zero-sum game. And they also stayed gainfully employed, allowing more money to help other people in the government programs that existed. So uh, I won't bother going into all the stats on it, but... Um, it wasn't dollar for dollar, but it was pretty close, um, and it was a really good thing. The same thing would happen here. You know, you don't need uh, a couple hundred thousand or a hundred thousand uh, employees, airline employees, getting in the unemployment lines. And again, for our industry, it's critical that we keep our pilots, our flight attendants, our machinists, and our gate agents, you know, on the payroll so that if traffic does pick up, let's say there's a vaccine soon or if people start listening to what the science is and the facts about flying, you know, which is you're safer being on an airplane than you basically are with airflow in your own home or in a grocery store and certainly in a bar or restaurant. But at any rate, when traffic picks up, we want to be there because we believe that airlines can help empower the recovery, help empower, you know, the path back to employment, not only for airline employees, but for all those people who work down line from the actual airline product itself. You know, we're, we're getting into the winter months now, I hate to say it, the fourth quarter. And, of course, it's followed by the first quarter. Okay. And historically, 
we're talking about a period of time that has never been friendly to airlines. Uh, you know, already this year because of the pandemic and directly because of the pandemic on a global level, we've had 34 airlines that have outright failed around the world. Uh, and if you look historically at the months of December and January, going back maybe 40 years, that's when most airline bankruptcies have happened because they literally could not get enough cash to get to the second quarter. So let's forget the congressional action here. You know, are we at a point now, Nick, where we're defining a successful airline by which can lose money longer? I hope not, Peter, but, you know, that may be true. Everyone I talked to before about the measures that all of the Air, A4A member airlines have taken, uh, the CARES Act was helpful because it gave them a lifeline and helped them build up their liquidity from the private markets. All the cost-cutting measures they've undertaken, all the voluntary measures they've undertaken, and the fact that they have gone to the private market to, you know, stock up on their liquidity – um, has been very helpful. Uh, but we need to stop the bleeding. We need to find a way to stop the bleeding. They're trying to find that. Uh, I heard one of my members say that they hope that rather than losing all the money, the millions and millions are losing every day and the billions by the month, that they could be at a zero loss uh, factor by the end of the year. That doesn't seem very ambitious compared to where we were, but for survival, it's necessary. You know, many people don't understand I don't think, at least, about how dire the situation is. They see that, well, you know, 700,000 passengers flew yesterday. A year ago, for Labor Day weekend, it was in the 2.8 range. That is a lot of cash out the door or a lot of revenue not coming in. And as you know, uh, airlines, it goes back to what you were saying about if you're a billionaire, you can become a millionaire by buying an airline. Um, it's a high capital, high labor intensive cost business. And the margins of profit are very, very small. And at the rate we're flying people now, um, we can't sustain the profitability. So you are going to see uh, further reductions. You're going to see furloughs. And you're going to see, uh, like I, I think I said, reductions in service. Um, if you've flown lately, you know there are far more connecting flights now. There are far fewer flights available. And that's all going to be exacerbated in the coming months because Airlines can't afford to be flying planes around with very, very few people on them and losing money on every flight. So, Nick, do you have any good news for me? Yeah, I do. If you look at where the airline industry was um, after 9-11, after the financial crisis in 2008, we're resilient. We will come back. We will do everything. And in the last 10 years, we hired, a, we hired a, an additional 186,000 employees. Uh, they were in paying jobs that paid more than most other industries. Uh, we will get back there because um, our member airlines know how to do that. Um, it's in their own interest. It's in the interest of the U.S. economy and the world economy. My thanks to Nick, to Gary Left, and to Jill Schlesinger. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for continuous updates on breaking travel news, log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.